if my brand, by my name, Eva Shonaike, will be unapologetically African. Because I saw, working for many years in the kind of glossy magazine world, and also I also worked for Elle Decoration Germany here in, in, in the UK, it was also boring. I didn't see anything. And, you know, people, they came to my house, my kind of co-workers, um, you know, they saw my style, like, oh, your style is so beautiful. Why don't we, you know, do a feature on the flat or anything? I thought, like, you know, I can translate this into my brand and bring it out there. And I think I really saw from when we launched that there was a gap in the market and people reacted to it. But what had to be, it had to be really clearly high-end. That was really important to me, that all the products, the quality, the raw materials, the branding, everything had to kind of interconnect on a, on a high-end a luxury level because there's a market for everything it's a good quality product you know i want to cater for a certain market and that market is prepared to pay that price so you know why should i as a black owned brand not cater for that market welcome to third culture africans the lifestyle podcast for dreamers thinkers and doers we celebrate artistry, share stories from those brave enough to create something and succeed, listen to diverse perspectives on African success and those shifting the needle on culture. I'm Zezo Ariaki Sal, your host. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, we have Eva Shonaike of Eva Shonaike. She is a real third culture kid born in Germany to African parents, raised by German parents, has lived several careers as a journalist, reporter, and now is an incredible interior designer that has been stocked in some of the biggest luxury department stores in the world. I call her the trade show queen because she's one of the brands that showed me that it was possible as an African brand to go to trade shows and be noticed. I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did sitting with Eva and delving into life, navigating entrepreneurship alongside motherhood and a diverse cultural perspective. Thanks Eva for joining us in this episode of Third Culture Africans. I remember coming across Eva Sonaike, the brand, um, in 2015 when I was just about to launch uh, Malay in the UK. And I remember getting this email from my PR company um, who had said there was this brand who wanted to feature our products on their website. And I didn't realize that we had mutual friends in common or anything in common actually at the time. But I thought it was such a great gesture and so kind of you and your brand to extend a hand to a young brand who was launching in the space. So here's a chance for me to say thank you. And that was the start of a beautiful digital friendship between our businesses. First of all, thank you so much for having me here. It's, it's I, you know, when I got your email, I was really excited about, you know, this kind of casual talk. And, you know, I love the brand. Us as a brand, I always look out for other African or African-owned brands that are kind of operating in the luxury end of the market and do what we like. So we saw you, I don't know where we saw you. I think we came across, maybe you got a press release from your PR agency. And I thought like, oh my goodness, look, let's feature this brand. Just look at what they're doing. And I liked the concept. So it was a no brainer to reach out to you back then. And now even better to have me here. Thank you so much. A small world. Turns out we have um, quite a few mutual friends in common. Before we dive into Eva Sonaike, the brand, as third culture kids, we're accustomed to people saying our names incorrectly. 
So do you mind correcting that so that moving forward, anyone who listens to this episode will say your name accurately? The proper pronunciation is Eva Schoenike. There's no H in the, in the spelling of my name, but you pronounce it with an Aces, Schoenike. You've picked your name as the name for your brand. Was that a conscious decision? That was very conscious, yeah, um, because my brand represents me. I started the brand when I was in a different career when I just needed some cushions for my home. I couldn't find what I wanted, so I decided to, you know, do them myself. You know, I can't sew or anything, so I just did some really, really basic um, cushions with African patterns, and everyone loved them. Everyone commented on them, friends, family. So I thought, look, well, there's, a, there's a little idea. So I was well-connected back then, introduced the cushions and the collection to some people, and within a short while, you know, it took off as a storm. Selfridges, Liberty, Fennec picked it up, and they bought from me. So it was clear that it's me. What I'm doing is, is, is represented through my name. And, you know, I have to say also, I like my name. I think it's a nice name. I just always like the name. So it was And what does Shanaike mean? There's no meaning. It's a, it's, a, it's a Nigerian Yoruba surname. Okay. And you said it so modestly. You were well connected then. So you had a previous journalism career. So I you did. were a journalist and I you did. worked for the likes of Elle in style. But on the fashion side? On the fashion side, exactly. So my background is in journalism. I studied journalism, worked as a TV journalist for a few years here in London. Um, having said that, we have to go a little bit further back. I grew up in Germany. How? I was born in Germany. In How? <laughs> my parents came to Germany in the 19... 19- so your dad's an art historian. Yes, exactly, exactly. So that came... Focused on... So it's, it's a complex story. So I was born in Germany by Nigerian parents, but I was raised by German parents. Amazing. So I was, from a very young age, I was adopted by a German family and raised in Germany by them. Having said that, my Nigerian family, my Nigerian dad still lived in Germany. And throughout my whole life, he's been part of my life. I've been traveling to Nigeria with him from a very young age. My parents were very open. So I had the, the luxury or the, the, the privilege of basically growing up in, with both cultures around me. Amazing. So it's a really kind of complex, but also really beautiful story. So that's my story. My dad, my German dad, unfortunately passed away, was an art historian. So he exposed me to, you know, art from a very, very early age. Um, But not just focused on German art, it was really, really kind of international. So yeah, we had a great cultural upbringing. Textile design for you is self-taught. Totally, totally self-taught. Actually, another friend of mine who also has a African fashion brand inspired me because in the beginning started buying Ankara, Ankara fabrics, and incorporated these into my design. But very quickly, I learned, first of all, it's not sustainable. Secondly, for the kind of the market I was operating in, the quality wasn't just good enough. So a friend of mine from Ekiolins, actually Hazel, she decided designing her own fabrics. And she's like, super easy, you can just do it. And, you know, I researched it, looked into it. And now 10 years down the line, that's what I specialize in. So Circa, you started in 2009 as well? Yes, exactly. Amazing. Yeah. I feel like it's a coming of age decade in it our is. businesses because I'm, I'm, Malay is a 2009, oh, is it in 2009, 2009 business. Oh my goodness. Um, my first outing was the World Cup in 2010, Okay, um, but it was birthed in 2009 yes. on my bed. Yes, birthed, um, yeah, mine was birthed in 2009 with my little daughter on my arm who was just newborn and I was kind of writing emails and everything. So Amazing. Yeah. And in terms of your influence in what you do in your textile design and in your choice of going down the interiors route, now as an ex-fashion journalist and TV presenter, 
my assumption, and I guess most assumptions, and I'm sure you probably got this when you started, your venture would be within an industry that you knew and that you you had excelled at. Yes. It's interesting. I thought that I thought fashion was my life because from a very early age, I was interested in fashion. But before that, interiors was always my greater passion. Whereas, you know, my friends were playing with dolls' houses and playing with the dollies and dressing them up. I was literally rearranging furniture, making little beddings out of old curtains. So I was always into interiors, but never, I don't know whether I never had the guts or whether I just, I don't know, I'd never pursued a career in interiors. Was it too easy, do you think? No, I don't think so. I think that I went into journalism first and then I think it took me quite some time and also some confidence to say you know I really want to specialize in fashion journalism because you know I come from a family which is very cultured and you know I was working in hard news and um, you know like current affairs and you know this type of journalism before so to say I want to do fashion was a big step because fashion can be seen as something a little bit trivial not as serious but if you study fashion I did my MA in fashion if you really study the subject and the depth of the subject. But as a as a black woman in Germany yes in fashion now I know in the UK it's slightly different but how was that for you sorry to interrupt I came to London 21 years ago okay and I started my whole my whole kind of university education happened here okay so I made the conscious move to move from Germany to England to study because I couldn't see myself in Germany in the long run why was that I always dreamt of living in a big multicultural city. Okay. And Germany is lovely. There's Berlin. It's a beautiful city, but it's not multicultural enough for me. I couldn't see myself represented the way I am. And so you had this level of consciousness so early on. Very early on. Very early on. So I moved to LA first. So I moved to LA um, (laughs) in a very, very early 20s. Spent six months there. I loved it. Had a wonderful time. Um, Interned for actually the magazine I later was the fashion editor for. But realized it's too far away from home. It's not culturally didn't give me that, you know, had a really strong cultural upbringing. Didn't give me what I wanted. So I came back to Germany and within, I think, six weeks, I moved to London, signed um, up for university, you know, got a university place and did my foundation degree and then went straight into my BA in journalism. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. And so what inspired you to make, because these are really bold moves. They are. Um, It doesn't look bold to me now, but in hindsight, I think it must This is something I'm finding out in, in the interview process, actually, when I sit with everyone, which is in context when I'm having these conversations, especially on the show, everyone's saying things and they're kind of going, oh my God. And I think there's a realization and this is why I feel like the podcast is so important because in motion, when you're living it as a creator or the artist or the the visionary, you don't really look back on on where you've been and, and see the steps it's taken you to get here. And when you actually say it and catch yourself like now we're talking about LA and (laughs) the fact that that was a bold move 
you know, I saw the twinkle in your eye and you're like, oh my God, yes, it was. It was a bold move in hindsight, because when you do it, you just do it. You're young, you do it. I think it's also when you, when you founded a company, I just did it. I didn't have any training. I didn't have any knowledge. You just do it. And then over the years or years later, you realize, oh my goodness, what I've done is actually quite an achievement. It's quite a big step. And I think that's what people outside see that you, the yes. doer, isn't seeing. And why you do it, I don't think, for me, I would say personally, I don't think I know why I did it. I can look back on my upbringing and my influences and see why this would have probably been one of the very only paths that I would have taken. Yes, I, I, I still, it's really difficult to see. I, sometimes you look back and you think, oh my goodness, it, to me, it doesn't seem that that much and that bold, because that's just my life. You know, for me, it was always clear. You know, I want to I want to do something. I, I have a passion. I have a dream, and I think it's also my mother. My German mom is an amazing woman. She has achieved so much. Even right now, I mean, the things she does is she just achieves things and does them and moves on. So I think I, I always saw that as a level. You know, I'm still not anywhere near where she is or you know was so I think it's a, it's a step but I think it's important not to underestimate what you've achieved a hundred percent saying that I feel like when people are able to see from the outside they're able to create for instance and you say it so modestly you're probably one of the first black interior designers to be stocked in Selfridges or Phoenix yes Yes, I think, I think, no, I think there, uh, I, yeah, I think I am. I think I am. Yes. And you, you say know. it modestly. And yeah. I think this is what I'm finding quite interesting because in hindsight, living it, it didn't feel like you were breaking barriers. No. You knew you were, and that was probably something you wanted to do. Oh, yes, yes. You're proud of, you think, okay, you know, that's something great. I achieved that. What's the next? How can we move on? You always think, I wouldn't call it imposter syndrome, but you always also look, oh my gosh, you know what? It's just, I achieved that, but what are we going to do next? What if they don't buy next year? So it's it's a, it's a um, yeah, but I think I, I was, I think it's something to be, I don't want to use the word proud. I think you should. Should I? I think you should. Okay. <laughs> I think you should. Yes. Because um, if you walk into Liberty now, I don't think there's anyone doing it. No. But you've done it. Yes, I've done it. And I'm finding that in the modesty of not screaming, and I think this is something that I'm also learning about each guest, which is owning this space yes. is so important. It's true. Absolutely. Because... We are probably the first of people who were able to cross over into the mainstream, yeah. as it were, yeah. and had people starting to think of Africa and luxury in the same sentence. Yeah. I think what is a little bit sad is, I've, you know, we've been in the, in the game for 10 years now. There's still not many who followed after us. Or who, 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 I think there are many who follow, but who maintaining to stay at the level where we are. Because it is, it is it's, I don't think it's the fault of, the, it's really difficult. It's tricky to maintain, you know, kind of your status as a black or African owned brand outside of, you know, kind of the, the, the African kind of, yeah, in the African diaspora. I think it's tricky. It's an interesting time because I think as a result of what you've done, there's been lots of other brands that have been birthed. Yes. Um, and, you. and that have 
have had the confidence or even founders that have, have had the confidence. I'm, I'm, and I'm hoping that through listening to this episode, if there is a young, but actually I interviewed a girl who had interned for you and her goal was to become you. Oh, really? Who is um, that? She's a, she has a sister and they look alike. Who is that? And oh. yeah, and she, I interviewed her. She's an interior designer. Yeah, and she's Amazing an interior girl. designer. Amazing girl. And oh, I love her. as a result of interning for you. Oh, really? She could see the possibility that it can be her. Yeah. Um, and I think I'm hoping through this episode that it sheds light on not just the interior design part of things, but also the ability to innovate within that industry. Yes. Because I strongly believe that innovation is something that our community needs. Absolutely. Ownership within that is something our community needs. And that's something you've been able to do successfully. Yeah. And I guess in the wider press, you're known as you know, the woman of color, you know, um, yeah. but color, not in terms of skin color, but color in terms of your approach to design. Yeah, my products. Um, when I started, there wasn't as much color as right now. Of course, I mean, you know, I wasn't the, the person who started the color trend, but there wasn't as much. And it was, you know, not only was I a black woman, but I also had very vibrant, colorful designs, which was quite a risk to take. But uh, I think it was worth taking that risk. Was it intentional? Absolutely. For me, it was absolutely clear if my brand, by my name, Eva Schoenike, will be unapologetically African. Because I saw working for many years in the kind of glossy magazine world, and also I also worked for Elle Decoration Germany here in, in, in the UK. I didn't, it was, it was also boring. I didn't see anything. And, you know, people, even when they came to my house, my kind of co-workers, um, you know, they saw my style, like, oh, your style is so beautiful. Why don't we, you know, do a feature on the flat or anything? I thought, like, you know, I can translate this into my brand and bring it out there. And I think I really saw from when we launched that there was a gap in the market and people reacted to it. Fabulous. But what had to be, it had to be really clearly high-end. That was really important to me, that all the products, the quality, the raw materials, the branding, everything had to kind of interconnect on a, on a high-end a luxury level. Is that because of the customer you wanted to serve or was that because you felt that you needed to create something that did that? Why? No, first of all, that's me. I am someone, I like good quality products. I like good quality high-end products. Secondly, I think there was a gap in the market for a high... There were, there were market brands around there. You could go to Spitalfield Market. You saw some beautiful, nice kind of little cushions, etc. But I wanted something to target the, the, the luxury end of the market. There wasn't there. So I thought, like, you know, why not create that? What's interesting, though, is, you know, realistically, for those of us that are pushing in the luxury side of things, it's a, it's a long grind. And for most people, you know, especially in the African context, everyone says, oh, but why not mass? Because yeah. people, there's enough people who need your things, who want something affordable. I know. And your price points are not affordable. And <laughs> at times you're time. at shows and literally people are almost haggling. I know. Or the angry. pricing of your items. I know. Or, or look at you and think like, you know what, why? You know, but no one will buy it. No, people do buy it, but... It's, it's, I know it's, it's a really tricky because I sometimes think, you know, when you have a brand, you go through development stages and you look at everything and we actually increase the prices over the years because, you know, and sales haven't kind of 
decreased because there's a market for everything. Mm. You know, I mean, there's, I mean, you know, we're not at the top, top, top end. I mean, there's some mm. interior brands who are much more expensive than us, but it's a good quality product. You know, I mm. want to cater for a certain market and that market is prepared to pay that price. Mm. So, you know, why should I as a black owned brand not cater for that market? Very true. Yeah. Very Why true. Not, you know, so. Now everyone, I guess you, you probably get this in every interview that you do, which is how did you start? You know, and it's usually around financially. How were you yes. able to do this? Yes. Because I guess in our communities, a big thing around industries like yours and mine is one of the biggest barriers to entry is the cost. Finances. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, how were you able to do it? And I'm not going to talk around that and say everyone can do it. I'm sure that everyone can do it, but there are certain elements. First of all, I had a good job and a career and put some money aside. So I could back then um, use some of my savings to get the company rolling. I have to say as well, the industry I am in as a textile and interior I mean, soft furnishing and um, home textiles brand, we produce on demand. So I don't have to produce stock, 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 stock. So I know an order comes in so I can produce on demand very quickly. So my overheads are not as high as I would have to produce, you know, like stock. Um, so that's one thing. But I I think, first of all, you have to be very, very clear on, on your finances, very, very, very disciplined with your finances, understand your finances. I come from a journalistic background, so I had to learn the business side of my business you know, like from scratch, I am still learning a lot. You know, I'm still, even after 10 years, you still Every have day to you learn. learn. But I was also privileged that I had come from a family background who could in difficult times help me out. You know, I mean, I um, Huge. And that makes a big difference. And I don't want to say, oh, you know what's absolutely easy. It is not. So Far I have privilege and I think you can really bootstrap it. I'm still bootstrapping it. The business, my business pays for itself. But it can be a struggle. So you have to be absolutely realistic about it that financially you have enough and have always something to fall back on if it doesn't work. Because I don't want to say, you know, business, you know, you start launching within two years, you know, making <laughs> oh, goodness. enough um, money to live comfortably, no. travel and all of <laughs> no. It's not. No. Let's face it. And I think th this is one of the myths, right? And in so many ways, there's a projection of this in, in popular culture around entrepreneurship meaning success yeah and statistically it's not true of course you're more likely no. to become a millionaire in a job 60 percent more likely than you are as an entrepreneur as a, no, absolutely and so there is this misnomer and then you look at our communities which are largely within africa actually largely supported by entrepreneurs but we also see as many failures as we do success stories yes. And I think growing up, especially I would say for me, I came from a community that saw both. So my dad was the career worker yeah. and my mom was the entrepreneur, so which, both. which by and large is usually, I guess, a, a normal construct yeah. in African families. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that I learned from my mother's experience, actually, was having the support network, as you talked about, 
but also learning that our businesses in our generation as third culture Africans who are entrepreneurs and creating and doing, our businesses are not just businesses. That's it's exactly, I, I could, yeah, you're absolutely right. Our businesses... It's much more. Much more than that. Much more than that. We carry so much more responsibility and each business different responsibilities, um, but we carry so much more responsibilities within our families, within our communities. Yes. But you touched on the sustainable element of what you do and working with places like Good Weave. How have you found navigating that? It's really, really tricky because I had this discussion with my husband last night and I think the time and age we live in at the moment, I think if I would be absolutely conscious, I would withdraw my company tomorrow because we're printing on cotton, which is a major polluter. Printing in the UK, it's ethically produced. But it's it's everything these days is 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 do we because I again the products I create no one needs them as such it's something which you buy in order to you know enhance your life but if you don't have like a beautiful version like a cushion your life will still go on so I'm often you know thinking about you know do I have to produce more put more into this planet which is already totally overfilled with products but I love what I'm doing and I do think that it enhances people's lives so I'm not going to give up it's really difficult navigating the things I mean all of our products are produced here in the UK we have the rugs which are made in Nepal with with in collaboration with Good Reef which is an organization that supports adult artisan rather than child labor in rug making which is um, you know a big issue i get a lot of questions of why we're not producing in africa why we're not producing our fabrics in africa and and why is that logistics first of all i'm based here secondly also the quality control for me the the sewing of the when we are at the high end my end clients love my brand because of the quality we can produce for me it's obviously much easier doing it here you know I can go and can go to my workshops look at what they're doing and I have a lot of struggle with quality control here in the UK I still have to make sure I think quality control is just a global issue it's a global issue as long as you're working with human beings and not machines yeah when your products are handcraft to some extent yeah the handcraft there will always be the human error element yeah it is there but more so I think in your journey notwithstanding not working with Africans to help in the production, you do a great job of highlighting your inspirations in Africa yes. and the history of creativity Thank you. and textiles. You do a lot on your blog, on your website oh, yeah, we try. and on social media. You recently did a trip to Nigeria and following your story around going to the museums and things. Oh, did you? Yes. Um, <laughs> and I thought that was... From my perspective, I had never experienced that. Yes, I know. Lots of people who grew up in Nigeria don't experience that. And for me, it was really important that my children specifically experience it. But one other thing for me is also one thing that's just really important for me, me as a businesswoman and also an employer, I try to often, not always, but um, I always have a member of staff which is from a black African or Caribbean background and I think it's really important I think over the year I had quite a few women working with me who came and they didn't have the self-belief that I think they could have and after they've left they've really risen and become either the entrepreneurs themselves or they've really achieved a lot and I think that is super important for me to here on the ground also work with the community Amazing. And um, be able to you know, inspire them and you know show them because everybody, I mean, there's so much talent out there. So, so you, much talent. you mentioned Maison and um, Hergé. Yes. Now, 
you're like the trade show queen. <laughs> I know. I think <laughs> you, you do every, like, I don't know how you do it. Cause I yeah, can only like, even when I, so even when money. I was moonlighting as someone who could do trade shows, I would do a trade show a year and I'll be zonked. And I would always make sure it was one at the end of the year because I knew I had time off. Yes. Now you've done Maison. What are the trade shows? ICFF in New York. I've done um, Decorexia in London. We've done, I wasn't actually present at um, Decorex South Africa. We've done, you know, trade show in the Middle East, which I don't know, um, I wasn't there, which what it's called. But I used to do a lot of trade shows. It's changing. I think the market is changing, the wholesale market and also the waste market is changing. I think that trade shows are now not necessarily the way forward anymore. Um, Because, I mean, Maison, as if you imagine Maison, have you been to Maison? So, you know, every time I attempt to do Maison, I literally chicken out at the last minute. Oh, really? I do. Because then I get indecisive. Have you not visited it? No, I get indecisive about what room I want to be in. Then I get indecisive about where in the floor plan I want to be in. Because I could either be in the cosmetic section or in the fragrance section. And so then I get really indecisive. And then I think it's just too big a show. And how will I get seen and what the value would be for for me as a brand. Yes. And so then I just go, you know what, let's not bother. And then I go, what's the point in going? Because I'm going to get there and think, oh, I should be here. Yeah, it's a tricky one because I went as a journalist and I think I had two days to cover the show the whole show and I couldn't manage to cover the whole show in two days because it's too big but I planted in my head that I want to be at this show it was one of my dreams I said like I will be there within two years I think with the one year I was at the show and it's it's traitors are hit and miss and it's a hit and miss which is a massive gamble because you may invest Anything starting from 2,000 up to 10,000 plus pounds, yeah. dollars or whatever where you're coming from. And you don't have a guarantee of sales. But, Zero. It's um, a great showcase. It's a great showcase. But I have to say every show, I think um, I started small with a really small stand. There is an organization in the UK where you can get government grants. So I started with the government grants and grew. And now, I mean, I haven't done Maison. I'm not doing it in general because I'm still not sure whether it's worth it at the moment with, with all the political things going on. I had majority of my shows were all very successful. I think it's also about your mindset. I called you a trade show queen for a reason. <laughs> um, also, I think it depends on your product. We are unique. Very. And people either like it or they don't like it. And if they like it... And, you and your pieces find themselves into the hearts of very interesting homes. They do. Um, so one of the things that struck me about your customer is that your customer is nothing like what we would think. And was that the same for you when you found out who your customers were? Yes and no. I always thought, because working in the in the, in the industry before, I always thought, you know, first of all, my customer is very diverse. At the same time, also not very diverse. I mean, it's a, it's a similar demographic, but it's all over the world. And obviously, this demographic differs from Nigeria to New York to London to um, Sydney. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's a... It's a, it's a diverse demographic and not a diverse customer um but i think it's a similar i think everyone who likes the brand must have a love for something outside of the box something they must love color and i think they must have a cultural a certain element of cultural awareness 
cultural awareness being African heritage or? No, not necessarily. I think to, to, just to be, you know, if, if someone has never been outside of a certain country, has never traveled, has never seen the world and sees only their own point of view, I don't think they would buy from us. I think it's someone who is really open-minded. There could be, you know, an English person from, you know, the countryside somewhere, but, you know, they travel. They, they have seen, they've been, you know, on, on the African continent. They've been to um, the Asian continent. They, they you know, um, read literature. They look at art from all over the world. So it's someone who is definitely, I think, culturally quite diverse and mm. open. So you mentioned being a mom. Yes. And your children. Yes. Um navigate well starting Eva Shanaike with a baby in yes, hand two baby babies. in hand yes and now you've got two yes navigating that as a mum how do you find that oh my god I mean this is where I look back and think how did I do this my goodness I mean my kids are older now I mean I would say pre-teenage years, um, you know, so they're, they're, they're older. It's um, still very challenging because no matter what age your children are, they need you. And I look back and I think there are times when I thought I would drown. But I think it's about making sacrifices on both ends. I made sacrifices on my business and I made sacrifices sometimes on the kids. Whether like right now, I mildly don't have time for a play date. You need to just be at home and play by yourself. Or I had a situation years ago when my daughter was very little and she came down with chicken pox and I had a show in New York to attend. And I was like, am I going to stay here with my baby or am I going to go to New York? And I packed my bags and flew to New York and did a very successful show. Made sure that my kid, everything was sorted. My husband was at work, that I had a you know good babysitter who I had to get last minute. I had to get a nanny in, sort everything out. She was very well looked after. But I made the decision back then. And I think these are, these are the bits behind, these are the bits behind it, especially as mums. I'm a new mum. So I can say that I am one who is an advocate for having the support system behind you. Yes, you do need it. Because it's impossible to do it without. Uh, absolutely. I don't know how, in this day and age, it's impossible. To run a business and be a mum and do a good job at both. Yes. You need the right support. You need the right support. Um, you need the right mind frame. I also learned um, only in recent years that I really need to nurture myself and look after myself in order to be good at both sides. My daughter's 10 at the moment, you know, preparing for school exams. And it's really, really tough on her. And I realized at the moment she needs me more. So some afternoons I just said, like, you know what, I'm out of the office right now. And I spend time with her, you know, just, you know, sitting down, you know, going through her homework, talking to her. I may have my laptop always with me, do some work, but she needs me at the moment. So I need to sacrifice and step back. Of course, as a mother, your family and children always come first. It's a no-brainer. I mean, that's how it is. But in real life, you have to balance it. It's a total balancing act. It's extremely exhausting. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also, I know I had a meltdown at some point earlier this year when I thought I want to give up. I'm not going to continue. This is too much. And my kids were the ones who said like, no way, you're not going to stop this. Please, you know, we know you're doing this. We're so proud of you. Look what oh, you've wow. achieved. My kids were there saying no. You know, I said like, I'm going to shut down Instagram. I'm going to shut down the website. They like took my computer away. They're like, no, you're going to continue this because this is what we know you for. And we love that you're doing it. So that is so amazing you that know? they're invested in your vision. Totally. That's beautiful. Totally. So what's next for the brand? What's you've, next? You've done rugs. You've done 
You've done pretty much every no, wallpaper. Stuff. Wallpaper's coming. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, wallpaper. Just this morning, I got um, samples in. We're happy. We have already sent samples out to some interior designers. Wallpaper's coming next year. Is it completely different from where you've gone in terms of your design, or is it still in the same family of what we know you for? Absolutely the same family because it's actually the same designs. Because people ask me, "Where's the wallpaper?" Since years. Wow. Um, so wallpaper's coming, and then a new collection is coming in spring twenty. 2020 amazing um which we're working on which is finalizing everything at the moment i'm really excited about that and i think i will pray that you know i will grow the brand continue to you know rise um inspire learn and you know continue going i love it i love doing what i'm doing i feel really blessed amazing. and i just think growing continuing and taking it to the next level Amazing. And where can everyone who's listened to this episode find you? I think the best way is on our website. I, mean, I think these days you get the, the full picture. There are lots of stockers to carry the brand. But I think if you look at www.evashonike.com, that's where you find all our products and more information. And if you want all the cool behind the scenes stuff on Instagram. Instagram, exactly. Come on Instagram. I need to do more stories. You're really good with stories. I have not been that great Oh, goodness. I'm, I'm, I'm like... <laughs> I literally think I'm spastic with my storying. Like I have moments where I'm super inspired and I'm like, story, story, story. And then life takes over and there's just not enough hours in the day I to know, story. I know, that's the problem. But I think it's really, I think Instagram is a really interesting social media platform. I really, it really inspires me and you see what people are doing and you yeah. get to know people. I love the visual element of it, I must say. It's really great. It inspires me and, you know, you look around and it's great. So Instagram is great. Um, Pinterest? To follow us. Pinterest, we're on Pinterest. I don't do enough on Pinterest. I have to do more. Um, that's something in my 2020 marketing strategy. <laughs> strategy. Yes, exactly. Where we're looking more at Pinterest, but um, at the moment it's mainly Instagram, the website. Um, we're also on Facebook, um, but I think Instagram is the main outlet. Fabulous. Well, thank you for joining us, Eva. Thank you for having me. An absolute pleasure. Wishing you all the success. I'm looking forward to seeing the wallpaper because I have have a room in mind to stick your wallpaper in. Oh, please do let me know. I sent you a sample. Thank you so much for having me, Zezé. Thank you. Very inspiring talk. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Third Culture Africans, the Lifestyle Podcast. We would love to hear from you. So please find us on Facebook or Instagram at Third Culture Africans and leave us a comment. A review goes a long way in getting our show noticed. So please leave us one if you enjoyed this episode and we'll see you next time.